Good morning, everybody. This is Ryan the Lion, and we are on a yarn live with a very special edition today with my guest, Lisa Mead, who we've had on before. Uh, and today's a, a pretty important subject if you've seen the uh, uh, headline. If you haven't, what the subject is, is about leaving domestic abuse behind and for Lisa, driving into generational change. And that's a big subject. So we're going. To, I'm just going to share that there's going to be some probably um, pretty sensitive aspects, shared concepts and things talked about from Lisa's story. So um, if you have uh, any personal challenges, uh, we're here to support and there's a range of uh, professional helplines that uh, we can provide um, for um, for you to do so. Um, but if, as always, um, there's a, a purpose to these. And in this case, Lisa is actually embarking on writing a book about her whole story. So this is just a little bit of a, a taster, 30 minutes today. We're going to talk through a range of it, or Lisa's going to. I'm going to be quiet in a minute, um, and it'll be all Lisa. Um, but just to give you an idea, going to take you through uh, Lisa's story and some of the key things that uh, ideally will help um, uh, others and give people some insight um, and help motivate you to invest in uh, the writing production of the book for the benefit of all of those who might need it. And of course, it might be you watching, and it might be someone you know who has been in the situation that we're about to talk about, uh, which is domestic abuse. And then also uh, after that, uh, where that led to, which is where Lisa is now, and we talk about intergenerational change. Her business has donated, um, as of June this year, uh, $82,000 uh, from uh, top line revenue to four charities that help with intergenerational change so that her um, son um, doesn't follow in the footsteps um, of this story you're about to hear. And also, obviously, helping and supporting a whole range of other young children so that they have the benefit um, to not go down the same path so that we can create better kids. Now, if I have um, set the scene um, suitably, Lisa, um, and you're more than welcome to correct anything, of course, uh, then let's start with uh, the big picture. Could you give us all a bit of an overview of the, the uh, a bit of an overview, and then we'll start going into some detail? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was quite a young mum. Um, didn't actually want to be a mum when I became one. Um, so I was 21. I'd luckily had my 21st birthday. Um, but yeah, pretty soon after that, got pregnant and had my son at 22. Um, and at the time, I was a young mum, obviously. I was, um, yeah, in a, a difficult financial situation. So um, I had borderline poverty from um, just the situation that was going on. Um, my son was experiencing the effects of domestic abuse. So um, there was violence in the home, there was drugs in the home, there was um, a lot of stuff that um, I hadn't grown up with. And um, I wasn't educated at the time. So I had all four risk, uh, risk factors that uh, meant to lead a child into a really difficult future. Um, I didn't know that at the time. I researched that actually years later um, before I started my business. So um that was quite shocking to find that out but um yeah i i was working at an accounting firm at the time i went back to work after eight weeks um because i had to 
financially. Um, and yeah, I continued to study part-time at home and became a single parent after my son was 10 weeks old. So that leads into um, a lot of what I did after then. I was at a big four uh, accounting firm called KPMG and um, they were quite supportive of me. And yeah, it, it was a big journey because I had uh, postnatal depression as well, which um, really affected my ability to create connections, which is actually what is really important to be able to move past um, trauma if you've got um, some going on or if you are um, trying to get out of a domestic abuse situation you really need strong positive connections in your life and so having that depression um, going on made that quite difficult for me. I can imagine it's a really interesting point that um, you know, postnatal depression something I first came across on TV is where I got educated from in a movie and uh, have not been close or near to it but the the thing that um, stood out in your comment was that when you're experiencing it makes it hard to make connections so um, you know instantly the the thought of isolation um, if you're in a domestic violence situation um, mm -hmm. I know what depression is about so I'm thinking you know if you add depression postnatal depression the pressure of a job Eight, going back eight weeks after giving birth, the first time you've given birth, um, first time your mum, you know, what do they do? Poo, sleep and um, eat for the first, you know, so long. So life, I just can't imagine how upside down your world would have been at that point. Um, so what what were some of the things that um, you went through or happened during those early stages that led yeah. to, I guess, the, the point where something changed or you did something that made it change? Yeah, I think um, there was a lot of stuff going on. There was a lot of stuff that led to that point. Um, it was quite, yeah, just, just not a positive situation, basically. Um, I was the one that was working. So um, even though it was my money, um, my money was getting used for things that um, were not benefiting um, myself or my son by that point um, yeah there was violence in the home there was people in the home that um, were not positive uh, role models my son's father was not a positive role model um, and it took me quite a long time to get to the point where I knew this wasn't the situation that I wanted my son to grow up in um, and it didn't it didn't take protecting myself it took protecting my son so I could recognize um, by the time I had him and there were things going on at home that, that were not good. Um, it took those situations for me to really recognize I didn't grow up like this, but also I don't want my son to grow up in this environment. This is not a good environment for him. Um, but yeah, prior to that, I'd, I'd reached out a couple of times um, while I was pregnant because it was, it was pretty bad then as well. Um, but the people that I reached out to were not the right people to talk to. Um, and so each time I reached out, I shut down again internally. Um, and I thought, oh, it's too hard to reach out again, or I'll just, I'll just spend some time and, you know, just dealing with it because that was, that was some of the feedback I got actually from one person was, um, you know, we've all got stuff going on, just deal with it. And that was the worst thing to hear because that basically minimized the trauma that I was experiencing. 
and um, made me think that you know this is just stuff that everybody deals with or that this is normal and it definitely was not normal um yeah having somebody um yeah make me feel like i was not good enough all the time or um yeah the just just constant um making me really doubt myself doubt what i was seeing um doubt whether the things that were going on were actually you know bad or that i was just overreacting a lot of the time i was made out to be um overreacting and um that i was crazy and that i would never find anybody <laughs> as good as this person or um a lot of stuff a lot of um i think for me like the psychological stuff was the worst. Like I, I dealt with some physical violence. I dealt with um, the financial side of things where my money was being taken for things. Um, I dealt with all, all of the things in, in the domestic abuse um, control wheel, if you've seen that. Um, they may yeah, pop the, it up with people. Yeah. I think for me, the psychological stuff was the worst, making me doubt myself because I'm quite a logical person and yeah, that was, that was really tricky for me to work through that. So yeah, if, if people haven't seen this um, control wheel before, it's, it's really helpful. And I didn't actually know of it until after I'd um, got out of that situation, but to, to read all of the different types of domestic abuse and, and kind of go round that control wheel and figure out I'd actually experienced every single one of those in that relationship. That was, that was really um, eye-opening for me. Yeah. And as you've been speaking through before I got this up, um, I, I picked up points having um, read it last night and um, and one of those things I just want to come back to, and we spoke about it before we got online was the fact that you had approached some people, a couple of people, and didn't get a, get any support. And I think that's a really big message for uh, every person, um, woman and men, who might be in a situation of some form of abuse, mm -hmm. is that um, you're reaching out is hard in itself, but then when you get knocked back, basically, um, not even just once, but twice, and you can, you know, that, that can be sort of... Um, I was going to say the end, um, but it's, you know, it can be very damaging in terms of your ability to help yourself or yeah. to seek help again. So maybe just share a little bit more about um, some of those some of those experiences and the then positive one where you were accepted and did get the help. Yeah. So um, the first time I reached out was actually to my brother, and um, we have a really good relationship, but. The problem was when he came to my house, he came with another person. Um, so then I instinctively wanted to protect my abuser. So I thought, no, this is not the situation. This is not, you know, what I want to happen. I just want to protect this person now because, you know, two people against one that that didn't, you know, kind of fit for me. Um, if my brother had come alone, I think that it would have been... Um, okay I guess in my eyes but because there was two people I just immediately shut down and said no so even though he was prepared to come over and speak to my partner at the time um, he'd come with somebody else and so that was quite threatening 
Um, so I immediately shut down and said, no, no, we can't do that. Um, I also had police turn up at my house um, from my neighbours coming over because I'd been screaming because of something that was going on. Um, it's all in the book. But yeah, just having having police come over, flashing lights. Um, you know, I had had two of them approach me. They didn't they didn't get me to leave the house. Um, so I had obviously my partner just around the corner, you know, threatening me, saying, "Go out there and say it's fine." And I think that this is really common. Um, and of course, yeah. I couldn't say I need help um, when you've got somebody with an earshot. So I had to say that it was fine. Um, which I really didn't like doing because I don't, you know, I'm, I'm an honest person. And so that really, that was the sort of stuff that really started to make me, you know, feel really uncomfortable about what was going on. If I had to lie about what was happening, if I had to, yeah, turn people away when they were trying to help me. Um, yeah. And then I had another person who told me, you know, just get over it. And eventually it, it got to the point where, um, I don't actually remember having a phone call or texting anybody, but I remember getting on the phone with my friend. I think she may have rung me when I was actually just ready to give up because it was too hard. Um, and that was after I'd had my son. It was um, it was after I'd actually uh, asked my partner to leave my house. Um, so you'd think that, you know, by that stage you'd be, you'd be in a better place. But actually for me, that postnatal depression was was a really difficult space to be in and not having support networks. Um, I didn't leave the house. I went to work obviously, but you know, I'm, I'm quite a logical person, as I said, so I can cover up things. And I think that's, that's, that's part of a Kiwi thing to just, um, you know, get on with it and just deal with it. And I think it's, it should be more normalized just to reach out and have a conversation with someone and be vulnerable, even though it's hard, um, because that's where you can create a space for healing and, you know, actually take the steps to move forward and reach out. You know, people really do care and they want to help you, but you have to be in the place um, where you're actually ready to move on, where you're ready to heal, where you're ready to be helped. And a lot of the times before then, um, I wasn't really ready, but I was ready in, in that moment. And um, luckily my friend um, talked me through it and she said, you know, do you really want um, somebody else looking after your son? And that was it for me. That was, that was the moment where I thought that's, that's it. I can't, um, I can't keep living like this. I need to really put some effort in um, to focus on myself and not this other person because all of my energy, all of my thoughts um, were towards this other person where I actually needed to focus on myself at that point and build myself up, build my confidence again, believe in myself and funnily enough, learn to love myself because that had completely gone out of the window. Yeah. Um, so we've just heard... Um, for those that have just tuned in, there's been a comment that's popped up, um, which we've just had Lisa speaking about. So one of the questions was, how about calling the cops? So I just want to go back and paraphrase a couple of things that you shared for people. So um, one was um, Lisa called a person. It was a brother. And um, 
no one no one probably knew any different they brought another person around so rather than having a private one-on-one um having the other person there uh, made lisa uh, shut down and decide not to bring it out and and also an element of um protection of the person who is the problem by not mm. outing or, or knocking on the boyfriend the second one answering your question abhishek is calling the police and yeah it's quite a um if you've ever, I've I've been involved in having the police up to situations, mm-hmm. and it becomes very full on with the flashing lights, as you said. That in itself can be quite daunting, and you suddenly mm-hmm. feel like you're in a movie um, with the flashing lights and everything, and it's all. You, you, I think you go into a bit of shock, um, mm-hmm. but of course, the key thing you said is they didn't take you away from the situation, and your boyfriend was just around the corner, um, as you see in a classic movie scene, just around the corner saying, "Tell them it's fine." Yeah. Will go away. So you're under. You've got one on one side of the police that can't hear what he's doing, but you're under that pressure. So, of course, you would naturally um, uh, bow to that pressure because that's the problem you're trying to get away from. That's the example yeah. of the abuse. So, so yeah, these situations are, are not. Um, I want to. I was just going to say the word. They're not linear. You know, the um, you know, it's not yeah. a straight line. It's very squiggly. Say, so uh, things that. Yeah, I would say that these situations are not clear cut. And one of the biggest issues is actually when people are living in a domestic abuse situation, they're not thinking straight. I didn't think straight. You know, I, I am smart. I'm an accountant. That None of that matters. When you're in that situation, you can't think about things logically because the whole time you're just minimizing everything to just cope because it's, it's a, you know, it's a survival thing you're in you're in survival mode you're just coping and there's no way um i would have called the police there's there's no way um and i think probably a lot of people wouldn't call the police either because that brings stuff to your home and that can inflame the situation um if if a partner is um abusive violent angry um any of those sorts of things then then you're going to be afraid to do any of those things to reach out. So the the safest option is to just reach out to a friend, family, whanau member, um, somebody that you trust who is just going to sit there and, and give the space for you to talk. Because um, I think statistically it takes six or seven times for most people to leave um, a situation like that. So six or seven times of actually reaching out before they can actually... Um, yeah, get the strength to move and and get out of that. There's, uh, I think, over 100,000 police call-outs to family violence incidents per year in New Zealand. And um, I think it's 76% of of family violence uh, incidents are not even reported to police. So if you think about that number, maybe it's more like 400,000, 500,000. I actually probably think it's about a million because police don't have the time or the resources to even attend most of these incidents. So um, even though police, um, that would be a nice idea if they could just come and dissolve or um, resolve the, the situation and, and sort that out, um, for the person that's in it, it's not, it's not the best um, or ideal situation, unfortunately. The police are not I guess considered the the one to call when you're in that you need somebody that you trust. Yeah, um, yeah. The I think when people go on a um, 
what is it, St. John's Mental Health First Day course. I haven't done it. I think they will get quite a picture. I've, I, I haven't, but through discussions with people like yourself um, and uh, interestingly, uh, um, the TV show again, SVU Special Victims, and they quite they highlight in their story quite often the difference between how normal police would handle it to yeah. how the special unit handles it, and it's quite some of the things. It's just a fact, a, a matter of um, you don't know what you don't know, and it really is uh, some of the things. So, I guess what I'll stress here is. That, um, seeking professional help is really important and if you are a support person and you're not sure then you need to I'd advise you to seek professional help as well I myself would seek the help of, of a professional if someone came to me and uh, I'd you know obviously take the, the what would seem like normal steps but I'm aware now that even sometimes what I might think are normal helpful steps um, like you like brother bringing a friend I'll bring a mate just in case, you know, or bring, you know, um, the thing that you might find normal um, uh, are not. So I think the key first, simplest thing is just one-on-one listen and then from there um, maybe look to get professional help involved. Would that be a, a good way to approach it if you have not had any fir- yeah. mental first aid coaching or anything like that? What would you yeah, say? Yeah, definitely. Um, if, if you're approached and um, someone wants to talk to you about a situation that they're in, um, you've got to just take that as you are just the safe space for them at that point in time. Um, And they might not even be ready to get out of that situation. They just want to talk about it. Um, And for me, I didn't talk about it because talking about it made it real. And, you know, for me, if I was to reach out and talk about it with somebody, then I was able to recognize this as a situation that is not, um, okay um, because domestic abuse domestic violence is never okay and yeah to be able to talk to somebody about that meant that I was actually okay with recognizing that I was in a vulnerable situation I was in a situation that was um, needed to stop but I was also not ready to get out of that um, straight away and so I did talk to people um, about really little things, little parts of it, but um, they've since told me that I didn't tell them any of of the real stuff, of the stuff that was actually really going on that was considered, um, I guess, threatening to my life as well. Um, but yeah, people people are not always ready to leave straight away. So just just to be, yeah, able to understand that they reaching out just to talk to you that's yeah. it just a conversation yeah. just to be a safe space just to have an ear that's all they want for a start and if they're ready to leave um i mean it's it's very different now to to when it was 11 years ago when i was in it because you know facebook had only just started um you know yeah. we've got so many resources now you can google anything and, and see a whole lot of resources, um, heaps of phone numbers that you can ring for help. Um, the police will, will refer you if you, you know, give them a ring as well. Um, so just the local police station, you can ring um, the Women's Refuge, you can ring um, Shine NZ has, has a number, you can Google these places. I didn't really have those resources when I was in that. So I think um, it's a different environment now and so there's there's heaps of 
heaps of resources out there, but I think just reaching out and being able to know that you are not alone in this is really important because I felt really alone. I felt like I was the only one dealing with that situation and, you know, maybe everybody had stuff to cope with and deal with, but I didn't feel like I could see anybody else dealing with that or getting out of it. Um, and so that's, that's a lot of what my book is about is to show people that I'm somebody that got out of that and it was, you know, it was bad. I'm not going to lie. Um, but there is a much better outcome outside of that. If you're willing to do the work and get out of it. Um, because it, it's not easy. I was, you know, I was depressed. I was, um, struggling, but I can tell you that my life is in a totally different space to what it was, um, you know, 10, 10 years ago. And Absolutely. I'm much better for it, you know, and now I'm able to help other people, which is epic. Yeah. And, and just to sort of re reiterate or paraphrase, um, uh, and I was going to put it in, put a few words of my own in there is that when you're in this situation, you mentioned earlier, you're not thinking, straight i guess you'd say as a as a reference you're not thinking and even saying it that way not thinking normally not thinking straight it's probably not the most positive way to put it but you see you see your reality in a different way to how other people would you yeah. see your reality in a different way to how you would if you were on the outside uh, you talk about minimizing it etc and making excuses for the situation trying to all these things that have got much better real terminology um, that a professional can share with a person, uh, but it mm. explains. And uh, what what I think the key thing is, is that while you're being isolated by the person, you also isolate yourself, you as an yeah. any person in the situation, you also isolate yourself because uh, it's a form of survival and a form of um, protection from the shame. Um, you know, when I think of my bullying, um, uh, you know, very different situation, but the shame of it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to go for help to get something I was ashamed about. Mm -hmm. Why can't exactly. I help myself? Why do I need help for this? This is quite simple. This is, you know, nothing. But in fact, yeah. it was actually quite terrifying um, because you, you go over, you go over some point where what, what you would, if you weren't in the, I guess, in a traumatized mindset, you would normally not accept you, just accept so it's, yeah, yeah probably made, yeah, made that point made sense. yeah a lot of a lot of why i didn't um get out of it sooner was because of that shame or that fuckamah it's worrying about how people would see me or treat me when i was out of it because there's a lot of stigmas around single parents there's a lot of stigmas around um young mums um all of that sort of stuff, I was mentally going, I don't want to deal with that. Like that looks too hard. But in reality, what I was dealing with at home was much harder, much more difficult because it was um, a process of actually losing myself. And, you know, I got to the point where I literally felt like a shell of myself. I didn't feel anything inside. I felt nothing. And, um, I think when you lose yourself because of things that are going on in your environment, nothing changes if nothing changes. And if you want that to change, or if you want to feel better, if you want to feel happiness or joy, you have to change your environment. You have to change something. 
and yeah that's at the end of the day it's a process it's a daily thing and when you've had trauma or you're in trauma it's it's a long-term change you you can't just get help for a month or two months or three months this is like a you know 12 months significant um amount of work to to get through that it can be two years five years ten years I actually um, for me it feels like a lifelong thing to you know constantly grow and constantly um, break some of those things that really held me down for a long time yeah and look at you now so um uh, yeah uh, it might be a little bit of an over positive um statement but um I think it's a good time to now flip into uh, where the journey has got you to now and yeah. um, a little bit more about the, the book and the plans for the book. So you run your own business, your um, former uh, big four KPMG. Um, you know, you've pushed, you've pushed. So, so I want to caveat that. I was going to say you push through and you got there, but then I was like, well, no, I don't want to say push through because that's like the um, harden up advice. Um, mm. But what I'm, what I'm just meaning is that you have worked your way through it. You've you know, climbed every stair one at a time and you've got, uh, and you keep going. And mm-hmm. um, what you've achieved is hands down amazing. And on that note, like we were talking about before, um, I wanted to be cautious that I didn't, make it because I, i'd love to just heap praise on you and i think that's fairly earned but i also don't want people who are still um who might be watching this who are in a situation to think oh that'll never be me it's yeah too out there right too you know mm-hmm. too far away from where i am at the moment but um that's it i think the messages is that the, the positive messages that regardless of what you end up doing um with your life you can do something that you choose. And I think the way I'll finish it off is um, to, to use what that phrase you've talked about it in the sense of you find yourself again. Um, yeah. So tell us a bit about, um, I guess, the, the finding yourself, the decision to start social currency and, and work on intergenerational change um, and the, I guess the, the positive um, flip side of this picture. Yeah. Um, so I guess... For me, it was um, one day at a time. And um, at the very beginning, it was actually one hour at a time because that's all I could mentally cope with, just focusing on getting that hour done and move on to the next one. And then it was a day at a time. And then it was um, you know, a few days at a time, a week at a time, until I didn't have to think about that. Um, so yeah, just worked, um, studied, did my degree, um, so it took me quite a long time because I was studying part-time through Open Polytech um, at nights at home. Um, but yeah, in, in 2017, at the end of 2017, I decided, you know, um, my son needs more time with me. Um, his father was absent, had been absent for most of his life. Um, and I was, you know, working most of the time, spending only a couple of hours a day with him. And I decided, yeah, and in 2018 to start my own business. So now I run my own accounting firm um, and I decided to support at-risk kids through um, what I do. So 10% of top line revenue, 10 cents in every dollar I donate to supporting at-risk kids through providing mentors and positive role models. Um, And that's to specifically change intergenerational statistics around crime, 
poverty and low educational attainment and at risk at risk rangatahi uh, rangatahi so um really specific um reason for starting my business because i had all of those risk factors my son had all of those risk factors i totally get it um and i wanted to be able to do something because i was in the position to um to help other kids because i saw it my son was going through it he still is um so my story is not officially over or um perfect or done or um you know my situation is is still evolving and um maybe it's another book but right now um where i'm at is is being able to write about my story write about how far um i've come i guess and show that other people um can totally get out of those situations as well and and that's basically it's it's the book that i needed when i was in that situation so um yeah. Beautiful. Editing it uh, at the moment, is, which is fun. Are you actually editing it at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't so sure where it started um, or where it was at. Um, yeah, but I just wanted so, to come back to that. Can I just come back to that beautiful sentence you said? It was the book that I needed. Um, yes. Writing the book that I needed. And that's, I think that's the, uh, you know, that says it all. Um, so for other people out there, that's the point of what we're doing today is to share about the fact that uh, there is a book coming. You've heard uh, aspects um, from of Lisa Sue here now today. And the magic is this is the book that she needed back then. So uh, the purpose um, is that this book will be able to help other people who are in that situation um, and help them find their way. I just, yeah, it's just such an important message, I think. Um, sorry. Sorry to interrupt, but... Um... Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's we're four chapters in to editing. So, um, yeah, it's, cool. it's already already quite an intense um, story, I guess. Chapter three hits um, some domestic violence. So um, it's, it's going to be probably a difficult read for some people, but for the people that um, can engage with it, can... Um, or do feel like they they need some hope, then this will definitely do that. So um, yeah, just doing a Kickstarter at the moment so that we can raise enough money to get it out there and and to get hopefully a thousand or more copies into the hands of of people that do need it and at no cost. So um, that's the goal. Cool. Now I've donated and um, I, I chose the um, signed copy because I want to read it, um, and thought rather than the, uh, anyone can do, there's a range of options, right? But I thought rather than me getting five or six books that um, I give out, is I'll mm -hmm. give the money so you can give out the books. Uh, yeah. So I put in, I, I chose to put in $250 um, into that one rather than I think it was the $50 option, but I upped it yeah. so that um, you could uh, use that money to put books in the hands of other people through ways that... Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I imagine you're working with a range of groups. Um, yeah. So everybody out there, um, if you have been in this situation for no reason at all, actually, um, if you would care to chip in a Kickstarter, we'll put the link in the message uh, in the chats. And um, But if you do know someone or you are that someone, um, then obviously the first thing we've talked about is reaching out for some sort of help with a friend, maybe even tell them, 
I, I even said to a friend a long time ago, and I use it all the time, if you want to talk about the problem or if you just want to catch up about the rugby and talk shit, if you just want to yeah. hang out, you know, just if you say to me, I just want to talk rugby, I know to stay away from talk, even asking mm-hmm. how you're doing and just let the casual conversation go. Or if you want to talk, you know, talk. But, um, you know, hopefully if you're the person out there, seek professional help, seek the help of friends, family. Um, if you don't yeah, get the right person, like Lisa's example, then um, make sure you keep going. So if we were to wrap up, um, what would your final summation words to everyone be about the journey and the book? Yeah, um, I would just say keep going. Uh, if you're in it, if you see somebody in it, um, yeah, just a conversation. That's that's all that needs to happen um, to kind of, yeah, get some progress and and be a safe space for someone. Um, if you need help, there are so many resources. Um, I'm also able to be contacted. Um, I'm open to that. So, yeah, I think key message is just reach out and talk to someone, even if you're not ready to move or change or do anything. Um, uh, sitting down and having a coffee with someone is is powerful. And even if they're not in the same city as you, you know, just just have a chat, just talk to someone. Awesome. Well, I'm going to say thank you very much. I've got nothing to add because uh, this is such an important subject that I know nothing about and you know everything about. So I just want to say thank you for your time and ability to share this. And the one, oh, actually, one thing I will say to everyone is when we put the Kickstarter in there, please help out with the coffee or more, whatever you can. Uh, the support obviously is there to help the thousand people who will receive these books, um, ideally. Uh, the books will help every single one in some way and obviously can be passed on and shared from person to person uh, but you've had a taste of the story and you understand what the, the problem is and some of the nuances or intricacies so thank you very much for your help and lastly Lisa thank you once again uh, for telling your story so many people don't, won't, can't um, so you're helping break the stigma uh, you're helping shine a light and you're helping people that have got no idea about this uh, problem get a really good personal idea so thank you yeah thanks so much for yeah letting me share this morning and i just wanted to give a shout out to the amazing people that are actually on the front line helping people who are in these situations as well because you do amazing work it's a lot harder to be working in that space than to be sitting back like me and just talking about my story so um yeah shout out to those amazing organizations and individuals that are, are out there yeah, doing, doing the mahi. Cool. Um, thank you very much. And we'll say kakitiano to everybody out there. Cool. See you later. Okay. Bye.